0: Welcome to another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. And joining me on today's episode is MBL veteran and Brisbane Bullets point guard, Jason Cadee. And Jason's had an extensive career now in the Australian basketball scene, playing 350 plus MBL games. He's represented the Boomers. He's won a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games back in 2018. He's a former MBL six man, winning that award in 2020. And he's had a tremendous career up until this point. Very much looking forward to hearing his story and his journey on the podcast today. Jason Kadi. welcome to the More Than the Game podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. Nice to have you here. Well, let's uh, dive into your story in just a moment. But before we do, uh, big game tonight, uh, the NBL Grand Final Series, Game 5, M- uh, New Zealand Breakers versus Sydney Kings. Who have you got winning, mate, and Why?
1: Uh, I've said Sydney before the start of the season, uh, start of this series and I'll stick with them. Um, purely off, I'm just going to go home court advantage. We'll probably get them home. Um, but it's been that kind of series. You wouldn't be surprised if New Zealand rolled out and, uh, played really well and won. but I'll go mm-hmm. with Sydney at home
0: and think yeah. the big crowd will help them get home. I think it's uh, another record crowd in the making, so we'll see how they go, mate. But uh, we're going to talk about your story. We'll see how that goes. And, uh, again, thanks for jumping on and sharing your story with us. Uh, Obviously, uh, during the season, you celebrated 350 NBL games. Did you think you would get to that achievement all the way back when you made your debut back in 2010?
1: I probably never thought about it, to be honest. Um, I guess when you're younger, you just think about playing basketball and... Hmm. I never really thought about things like that. And now I kind of only really think about them when they happen. So it wasn't mm. like I, every year I'm like, oh, I'll play this amount of games this year or so. And it's kind of just like a few games before or kind of during the season or start of the season, someone said, oh, you play your 300 this year or 350th. And mm-hmm. um, I guess it's not until that point and then they happen, you start
0: to think about it a bit more. Mm. Absolutely, mate. What was it like hitting the court for that game? It was a big one for you.
1: It was cool. We won, which was nice. I don't think I won
0: <laughs> won many milestone
1: games for a while, yeah. um, so it was nice to get a win. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of another game. Uh, this year was pretty mm. cool because my teammates actually made it um, just really enjoyable for me. Of the fact we won and just how they went about it after and and. They, kind of, they presented me with a signed basketball after all the boys signed it and wrote a little thing on it after the game and just things like that. So it was a pretty cool little, um, I guess, moment and a little milestone that down the track I'll
0: probably look on um, with fond memories. Absolutely. And, uh, well, we'll talk, touch on it a bit later on, but I guess almost didn't make it that far with that accident um, early on in your career, which we'll come to in just a moment. We'll touch on that. But I want to go back to where it all started for you. Obviously, uh, the son of... Robbie and Debbie Cuddy, uh both had great careers in their own right. And your dad was uh, CEO of West Sydney Razorbacks. I think that's when I met you. His dad was still CEO then and uh, been around the sport for a long time. Uh, but I guess comes a point in your life where you've got to choose for yourself. Uh, was it an easy decision to pursue a career in basketball or were you uh, not sure? Um, how did that come about? Uh, do you remember when you made that decision to make a career out of it? Um.
1: It probably wasn't an easy decision. It probably helped I was semi-okay at basketball, so that translates. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, just a bit, mate.
1: But I was, I was just around it so much. Uh, all my mates played it. Mm. Um, it. Kind of even if I was doing other stuff, I was playing basketball. So I feel like I was always headed down that route. It wasn't mm. really until I got to kind of... Maybe towards top age 16s, 18s, I really started to, I guess, flip the switch to how serious and and what it meant. Mm. Like before that, I was probably just playing basketball and I was doing a lot, but Mm. it was all just me playing basketball. And so once I got to that kind of under 18s and started to lead to state teams and going down to a few camps at AIS and things like that, it just started to take a turn and then kind of in the back end of 18s when I made the decision to go to the Institute of Sport, it was like I'm making a decision now. This is
0: what I want to do full-time, obviously. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, obviously, I had the privilege of playing alongside you, mate, back in the bankstown Brune era, uh, won the championship uh, in the state youth league tournament, but uh, I could tell back then you are destined for big things because I think you are playing under-18s and playing upper mm. level playing youth league and um, you just dominated every time you filled in for us and meant I didn't play as many more minutes, mate, but I was fine, <laughs> let you jump on the court. but a uh, long time ago now, but, yeah, back then I could see, yeah, the t- trajectory, I guess, of where you're heading, but for me the key thing was um, just seeing the habits that you put putting in place back then for... Anyone who wants to make it, I think habits are really key, um, not just for professional sport, but in life, I guess, in terms of building these rhythms and habits in your life. And you're on the core practicing um, when most guys, you know, finish up training or whatever. Um, how important are habits not just in your career um, and for you know, instilling good um, patterns in your career, but also for life, uh, building healthy rhythms and habits um, yeah, within your life as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things... When you go to the life part, uh, you kind of think about what I do in basketball as just basketball, but Mm. what I've found in speaking to multiple different people in all different walks of life, some in business, some in just what they're trying to help other people do and and even kids, it's those habits you do through sport translate to your life. It does Mm. with everything you do. And and Mm. the, the one thing when I was younger was, I guess sometimes there was a little bit of, oh, do you really work that hard and things like that? But I was probably just doing so much of it Mm. that I, even when I questioned it, I was like, hang on a second. I spent my whole school holidays at a basketball stadium for Mm. five hours a day shooting around by the Razorbacks train. Like I was doing so much of it and in so many different places. It kind of, to me, it just was part of life. It wasn't Mm. really like I was doing extras or I was trying to do that. It was just that's what I did. I was just at basketball Mm. stadiums. And so Mm. I, I think a lot of what's got lost a bit in this day and age isn't more the habits part of it. It's the basic part of it. Yeah. Everyone wants to skip to the flashy part and the highlights and all that, but highlights are really temporary. You you can Mm. see anyone's highlights; that they go for about a minute, and then there's a new video. And so, Mm. anyone that sends a highlight tape or any of that stuff, they're really cool and they look really good. But Mm. Mm. it's their highlights. I I really like. I very rarely ever watch highlights. I just watch games. And so, Mm. I think to the part of like everything that kind of I think about when I was younger, the one one part I'm so lucky was with my parents and especially dad more than mom in the basketball space because mom sometimes coached, sometimes didn't with me, Mm. where dad always did, is I just, it was the basics. We just Mm went and shot. We weren't going out working on a heap of stuff. We'd go shoot, Mm. go home. So I just think the basic side of it, the habits creep into it, but Mm. just the basic side I learned younger that I still use every day is the biggest part to what I... I'm now trying to teach young
0: kids. Yeah. That's no, awesome, mate. Very good. Wise advice. And um, if we touch on your debut, um, so as I said, played with you, I think it was 2008, played that, that season, Oh you at the yep. AOS, and then you make your debut with the Gold Coast plays. Remind me that time, did the accident happen before your debut or was that the second season? Um, no, that was before. So that was um,
1: the year... I left the AIS, mm. I'd signed with Gold Coast mm. and I came back to Sydney to play ABA because at that stage down at AIS, we were only playing like 10 or 12 uh, Siebel games when it was Siebel. So it was kind of every couple of weekends where mm. dad was coaching ABA, they were playing every week. Mm. So I said, I'm going to go back
0: now and play and play every week till I go away. And so mm. it was in that in that stretch there. And for those that don't know, obviously, uh, coming back from a mate's place, you're um, driving home on the freeway, Well, um, you can explain it, but basically we were hit by a truck, uh, broke your pelvis. Um, yeah, can you explain the incident and what exactly went down in that in that moment?
1: Yeah, essentially that. Um, driving home, mum and dad uh, needed the car after a meeting the next morning to go to work. And so I was driving dad's car home, it was like at 9.30 in the morning or something, and mm. um, got kind of pushed off the freeway, went to come back on the M7, spun out from the gravel and then just basically pulled up and here comes a semi trailer and just crunched me. Oh, yeah. uh, stuck in the car for about an hour and a half. Choppers, ambulance, everything there. Ended up getting the ambulance to, um, I think it was Westmead Hospital. Hmm. And then, yeah, was in there for a few weeks. Found that I had a broken pelvis, had the surgery. And then basically... From there, it was learn how to walk, run, and everything again.
0: Amazing. At any point, did you think your career was over? It when it happened.
1: I think that was the yep. first thing I said in the car. There was a lady named Ida who had come across mm. the freeway to get in the car, and I, I don't remember much from the car. I remember the impact and the, the sound the noises and everything, and then... Mm. I remember bits and pieces, but I remember saying to her, like, I more talked about needing to play basketball. I was probably lucky I was young and naive that I wasn't talking about walking again. I was talking about playing basketball. But I remember after I had the surgery, the the surgeon who did everything was really good. And he, uh, I remember him saying to dad, I wasn't even talking to me, Robbie, he'll be fine. He'll be able to get back to running and everything. It was all... All clean break, easy. it wasn't an easy repair, but it was all a clean repair that we were able to put everything in that should not limit him running and mm-hmm. he'd be able to get back
0: to full health. So that was, um, from that moment forward, that was all I thought about. Yeah, it's amazing, mate. Now, I guess a lot of the guests I've had in the podcast, we talk about hard work and, and discipline, but i tell you what, the discipline and hard work you would have had to put in just to you know, rehab that injury. Um, yeah, What did you learn about hard work in that time?
1: Yeah, it was probably... Um, it was probably, once I was probably lucky I was so young. I treated it like an ankle almost. Like I just, oh yeah, I just tick mm. off little boxes and keep moving. And I probably found out more later on once I actually came back how significant it was. And I'd have days where, like I remember I was supposed to be out for 10 to 12, eight to 12 months. Mm. I played after five and a half. After my first game, I couldn't even walk. Like I actually struggled right. to walk to the car to go home and so <laughs> there's just elements of that where I learned at a really young age okay hang on a second like there's actually some really things I need to take care of mm. or I was in situations like that and then even I think just I probably learned to be a bit more patient through the whole process Um, in some regards in other regards not really because I pushed a lot but mm-hmm. like I had to actually sit still and not do shit for a long time and then i had to learn how to walk really slowly and then once i got back to moving it kind of went pretty fast but it Mm. it took like as i said like those games happened after five and a half months and then that next off season i basically was off feet for a few months to let everything heal and and then rebuild myself again so it kind of really took at least 12 to 18 months till i was actually back to feeling like myself again but yeah probably taught me i mean i always thought i had a pretty good pain threshold but that was probably a different level of it learning how to play through some things and push through and kind of just worry about that later and just worry mm. about playing now so it was definitely a lot to learn as an 18 year old but mm. something i'm i'm also
0: not grateful yeah. i got to go through it because it would have been nice to not have to go through <laughs> yeah, it course. but
1: it, it was it was a lot of good learning lessons for me at that time
0: 100 mm. i was going to touch on this question a bit later on but we're talking about it um i guess sometimes we tend to in life but also you know basketball we probably when teams aren't going well or the season's not going well which i guess you guys had the bullets the last season the i guess the default to try and you know run away from that and and people don't like uh pain or hardship um obviously it's not easy but i find that when we go through those times it actually leads to more growth uh you know we become wiser from going through that period so you said you wish you hadn't gone through it, but do you see a bit of a silver lining in that, that sort of helped you with your career that when you go, you do go through the tough times as a team or whatever, and as a captain now, you can sort of get the guys around and say, look, it's not easy. It's not hard. It's not good at the moment, but you know, we'll learn from this. Do you find that experience sort of helps you understand the importance of going through hard times and learning from them?
1: Yeah. In elements. Yeah. Like I think it, it, it definitely taught me a lot and I think it, it helps the individual a lot. Um, hmm. Team when the team performances, it, it's hard. It's hard to define team performances at the time. I'd say those things I've gone through has helped me as an individual really figure out kind of especially in the basketball space, like things that I see work and don't work, and hmm. kind of as I get older now, what would I do if I was in this role? What would I do if not? I see it from a whole different, uh, I guess, outlook to what others probably would? But sometimes hmm. in t- team situations it's it's so different because you're affected by other things going on it's not necessarily what the group's like it's mm. it's injuries it's um it's maybe something the coach wants that the group mm. it's it, struggling with or maybe it's external and, and there's other things going on within the club there's so many different
2: mm.
1: moving pieces to a basketball club so sometimes it's actually hard because you can only focus on what you can do mm. but whilst there's other things going on like at at the end of the day you're trying to get through a season in one of the toughest leagues in the in the nbl and Mm -hmm. you're missing Mm -hmm. three or four players at a time it's it impacts everything you're doing you can be great as a team but without that personnel on the floor and without the talent or whatever it is it it, it's hard to navigate so sometimes it's Mm -hmm. about just worrying about putting your head down and doing the work and letting everything else tick in after it but Sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it, which is probably the most frustrating mm. thing as an athlete because you're so competitive, competitive yeah. that you want to everything to get back on track quickly. But sometimes mm. that's not
0: that's not the simple answer. Yeah, hundred percent. Good lesson for fans too. They might get frustrated. <laughs> it's a lot of. I you know, always say I think, to fans
1: too. Yeah. I always understand frustration, and yeah. I said I get it because what do you think I feel?
0: Mm, that's it i was like that's
1: that's the part like i said i understand Mm. frustration everyone and it's more i think frustration for fans probably comes more from expectation some of them love it to the stage where they just want to see it do well and they're fans and they love the team and it's what they look forward to and so Mm. i understand it and i think every fan has every right especially sponsored members the ones putting in their hard-earned money for every day of the week um The yep. ones who show up every now and then and whatever, that's different. But still, once again, mm. everyone's allowed to show support or frustration, however they see fit. But I always mm. say, if they think that we roll home and we just walk or move on from it, it's not that simple. And the other mm. part to especially being an NBL player is a lot of people aren't earning enough money that they just roll home and they're getting their Ferrari and drive home. No one's earning that type of money. So <laughs> yeah. what you do week in, week out in this league really impacts your life and so Mm. i think a lot of people don't understand behind closed doors how much goes on and how much it actually tough situations actually affect
0: each individual Mm. absolutely absolutely mate well said um just turning back on to before we go back into your career um to finish up the car accident you had a really cool uh situation where you put the word out for ida he's mentioned Mm -hmm. to um you know, if she was out there you wanted to meet her and she had actually turned up at a Sydney Kings game, what was that experience like? I remember the video and uh, you meeting her. But, uh, yeah, what was that like after so long and getting to see it her was,
1: Yeah, it was really cool. It, it got blown up more than I originally wanted. I just wanted to meet her. I got yeah. to the stage of my life where I probably avoided it for a while because it probably yeah. made me think about the whole incident. And then sure. it just got to the stage I've been in Sydney for a few years playing for the Kings where I thought, you know what, I'd like to meet this lady. I wonder if I can find out through the club how I can find her. Mm. And then it just – it went – it shows the power of social media, to be honest, in yeah. in a good way, not the bad ways. It sometimes yeah. shows itself. But mm. it just went here, there, and everywhere. It was on radios. It was here. And I just felt really bad for her, to be honest, because I, I didn't want it mm. to be like it was in that way. Yeah, I just really wanted to meet her. I wasn't – necessarily trying to find a relationship i just wanted to meet her and say thank you and just put a face mm. to the name for so mm. long i'd known this name and i didn- had no idea what she looked like yeah, yeah and so the whole process how it found out and then it was her and then she came to a game and um it was kind of surreal and it was like it's, mm. it's weird to think that a lady i really have no idea who she is i haven't really met her like i mm. if you class that day as meeting her i barely remember the whole thing so <laughs> um to just feel like i know her when i saw her and mm. um, i think she came to a few games after that as well and then i, I left sydney mm. must have been that year was my last year in sydney mm. and so contact kind of got lost and then even not long ago a few years ago i um i tried to message her to let her know that i had my first child actually um mm just and but I never heard back and she probably even changed numbers so I let it be but um yeah. it was something regardless of kind of what followed I just was so happy I could put a face a name to the face and mm. kind of say thank you just for the little part the big part for me but the little part to her she probably played on that day
0: it's mm. awesome man it's awesome you had a big career uh, up until that point obviously um from AOS gone straight or well, play for the boomers at that point get back, rehab, Gold Coast plays, go to Adelaide for a period of time under Joey Wright, land at the Sydney Kings, and you're a part of the team when it goes through that transition from the old ownership into the new ownership, now playing a kudos. Um, what was that experience like, first of all, coming back to your home team or, um, you know, area you grew up in, Sydney, playing for the Kings and um, playing under Andrew Gaze? And um, what was that like when the new ownership structure came in and took things over? What was that whole... Um, period of time, like, because you were there for a few years?
1: Um, I loved it. Um, mm. It was one of those things when I got back to Sydney and then started going through years or months of being there and playing for the Kings. And obviously, mm. everyone knows I grew up heavily entrenched in the Razorbacks. But mm. once I kind of got back to Sydney and was in Sydney, and it was just little things for me. Like, I'd go do promos, and I knew where the school was because I had a friend go there when I was younger. Or I'd go do this, and I knew people from... And I'd go to an event and someone was from Sutherland or Bankstown or Comets. Mm. And you just, mm. it was more those connections of being in Sydney and just, mm. oh, Jason knew your dad or Jason, remember watching you when you were 20. Like, it's just, it was all that <laughs> stuff that made it so special. Yeah. And then when Harvey Lister and AEG Ogden took over, it, mm. it it just, you could see what was going on and where mm. it was headed. Mm. And then obviously off the back of that, you've had Paul Smith and his crew come in now and and take over off the back of Harvey, and they've just mm. they've done a fantastic job with the Kings, and, and it was one mm. of those things I was probably at the start of it really starting to change gears, and mm. we started to get pretty good crowds, and we just we had a few years where they were trying to figure out the roster, mm. and then I think of the one year that I really think about, I I was talking the other day, I've had some unlucky years in terms of people getting hurt, mm. but that one year we were supposed to have Julian Kazoo, he doesn't play a game, Uh we ended up changing uh, an import when we were five and one or six and one or something. Mm. And then later in that first year, Kevlish gets hurt and Newells gets hurt. Like I just, mm. there's some things in that situation where we were mm. close. And then obviously yep. they bring in a guy like Bogues, and Bogues really brought in. Like okay, if he's coming in, he's not coming there to just roll around. He, things mm. need to happen, and I think mm. um, that was Harvey that made that happen. And then off the back of Harvey, as I said, Paul comes in, and they've just really created it. A great place to play basketball, and Mm. in in my mind, uh, biased because I grew up there. But I always wanted to play at that stadium when I was a kid. It's Mm. it's Mm. an elite arena. Mm. It's I remember going there, doing the floors with the Razorbacks, played the Kings and uh, the Harlem Globetrotters played Mm. there. I think it was one of the times the biggest crowd, fifteen and a half thousand. And remember that. It's just it's just things like that that in Sydney was like. I'd see kids and think I was one of those kids in mm. Sydney. You had that you mm. had that you could see yourself in kids because you were there. Like I'd go, as I said, yeah. I'd go do promos at Banks Down Hills, all these places where mm. that's where my childhood was spent at different times. And so mm. Sydney had a different uh I guess uh different not meaning, but it just was a special place to do things like that and see kids and and just be mm. in that environment doing what I do.
0: Absolutely mate. No. With that all said, you sound very passionate about the Kings. So I'm asked this on behalf of other Kings fans. Can you see yourself ever going back there? I know you're off contract, I believe, so I am. Um <laughs> it's funny, when I left Sydney,
1: uh, it kind of I, I didn't really want to leave, but uh, I had such a good relationship with Andre Lamanis and he mm. they tried to get me when they first came back in the league and it just got to the point where I thought that I might have had a bit more opportunity in Brisbane potentially or and it kind of was at a weird time. So I, I really didn't think I was going to leave Sydney, but it ended up working out that way. Um, mm. It was the hardest decision I ever had to make in my mm. professional career. Mm. Um, and then when I left, I always left with the opinion that I'd be back. And now mm. as I sit further down the track, I see it harder to be back. But mm. as I also sit here talking to you off contract and free agency starting in two weeks. Um, mm. Yeah. I could see myself being back in Sydney. Um, I think there'd be a lot to have to play out. I don't know what their idea is with their roster. And mm. Mm. going to Sydney now is one of the hardest things you can do because they've been playing so well. So you mm. go well. and try and help them keep that going, especially now they're going to lose Xavier Cook. So mm. uh, it wouldn't be an easy situation to go to in terms mm. of just how good they've been. Sometimes that's a hard one. But for mm. me, um, if you were talking about clubs that you would enjoy being at again, Sydney is definitely mm. one of them, just because of my connection with, it being my hometown, um, mm. I felt like I had a really good relationship with fans, members, uh, people around Sydney, and so
0: that's a long answer to your question. But <laughs> in other words, you're signing tomorrow. I can, I can feel it.
1: <laughs> but you never know. You never know. It takes two to tango, and so yeah, we'll yeah, see. Exactly. But I'm definitely yeah. a free agent. Probably the, mm. probably the most free of an agent I've been in my whole career. So, yeah. um. Yeah. there's a lot playing out in brisbane um and yeah we'll see what plays out but i am mm-hmm. very much
0: um looking around yeah nice to hear mate we'll keep keep uh note of that well just uh, a couple more questions to finish up um obviously you mentioned the uh appeal of playing a kudos and the old Su- sydney superdome and obviously the home of the sydney 2000 olympics i'm not sure if it was a had an impact on you as it did me. That's the reason I started playing because of, you know, going to a Boomers game and, and I uh, wanted to make, become professional after watching that game, but um, didn't quite work out, but all good. But um, yeah, in terms of playing for the Boomers and having that opportunity at a young age, uh, but also later in your career, uh, all the guests I've had on who have played for the Boomers to say the Boomers culture is so special and we always hear about it. Uh, that's going, going back to the days of Andrew Gaze, Hammer, Shane Heal and the like. What was that experience like, putting that jersey on for the first time and then having that experience of playing so many games with the Boomers um, up until this point in your career? It's the best. Yeah, Um,
1: It's like, uh, I guess, when when you become a professional athlete, a lot of people don't understand it becomes very business. Hmm. Um, There's different agendas. There's different things going on. Uh, if I'm being frankly honest, loyalty, everyone wants loyalty in a world where there's not much of it. Mm. There is at times, but mm. you see it all the time. You see players take less to be at a certain place, and then mm. when the time comes, they just say, see you later. Mm. Or you see the other way around, players sign contracts, and then after a while they go, nah, this isn't for me, I'm out. And so it, it's it becomes a business world. Mm. And so you go through your whole junior career playing the game you love with friends and just playing because you love it. And then you get to that world and it can be a little bit of a shock to you. But once you get to the boomer stage, it's back to what you were like as a kid. You're playing with the Guys that are all there for the same reasons. And They don't care if they play one minute. They don't care if they play 40 minutes. They just care. What do I have to do to help? Do I have to wave towels? Do I have to carry the drink bottles? Do I have to get this guy open? I'll do that every time. And so you end up with groups like that. And then you go on tours and you go on trips. And all of a sudden you can be on a three-week, four-week trip in multiple countries, some not really that great, and you're living out of a bag, mm. and it doesn't get old for some reason. It's because the guys you're around. Mm. Mm. And so it's just a whole heap of those things that would come into it, and it's something that until you've really done it and been to those places and, and been part of those groups, you don't really understand it. And yeah. it's something – It's a, there's a reason why all those guys – like people aren't making money – playing for the boomers they're not feeding Mm. their families or anything like that there's a little Mm. bit of money involved but it's nothing Mm. so that's why you see so many people coming back to it because i think a lot of them just need a taste of what it's like to be a kid again and play around people that just want the best for you and want the best for everyone and yeah and it's just an environment like no other especially once you get to this age other than maybe like as i speak about bankstown i went back there in 2016 Mm. and got to play them Mm. like That's the kind of environment, obviously, on a way higher level, but that's the kind of environment you're looking for when you go and do those ABA things and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And so two highlights for me, I guess, or things that stand out from your career with the Boomers. First of all, uh, 2018 Commonwealth Games, uh, winning the gold medal. Um, Obviously, not quite the Olympics, but probably the uh, next best thing, I would say, in terms of professional competition, Um, at that level. So um, what was that like being a part of that team, winning gold medal?
1: Really good. Um, It'd been like I'd I'd been at – we'd had two tournaments prior. I went to the World Uni Games um, Mm. and we came second against Russia in Russia and that's under 25, 25 and under. Yeah. And Russia had like three Olympians and it was like that's the closest to an Olympics in terms of it's a – a full village. So you're in the village, uh, food right. hall, all that stuff. And so when I was there, because right. Dre was coaching, yep. Dre actually said, like, this is as much as an Olympics without it being an Olympics. And so mm. we'd kind of been on some tours. And then um, that uni games team and that experience, we were away for like six weeks, maybe even longer. We went to China first and then we were there for three weeks. So there was a lot going on. Mm. And then... Um, so that was a great experience. We did the FIBA Asia Asia Cup, first time in that, which was another great experience. And then the COM That's games, right. um, it came up after the season. It was the year I was off contract with Sydney. Mm. Um, Dre kind of, we had a tournament at the end of the, a FIBA window at the end of the, the season. Mm. And Dre kind of said, look, do you want to do the COM games? Uh, I understand, because I had offers to go to Europe again. So I had done that the year before. You kind, I need to know. And I said to Dre, was we saying, Dre, well, I need to know if I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I was like, if I'm not in Dre, I'm going to go. So yeah. I said, I'll tell you right now, if you're going to pick me, I will stay. Cause it's in Australia. It'd be a very cool experience. Mm. And Dre said, mate, that's why I'm asking you. Cause I want to pick you, but I can't pick you if you're not available. Yeah, and right. So, um, that was just another, it was just a great group of guys. We were all there for the same reason. Mm. We managed to get it done. Um, and just another thing I think probably as I get older, you just look back and being just one of those cool moments that you're happy to be a part of. And to do it on the Gold Coast where I started
0: my career and just do it in Australia was was really cool. Yeah, 100%. That's well, the positive side of things, I guess. Uh, they're not so positive. I have to bring it up is a game in the Philippines. My goodness. Um, <laughs> like, I remember, I think I flicked to something else while I was watching the game. I've come back and I missed the actual event but saw what happened and couldn't believe it when I saw the replay and i guess being yeah. there you probably thought it was something surreal like a dream um there was a lot of talk about the disrespect that i guess you guys or australians had towards the um the people over there which i find hard to believe so nah. in your opinion what happened there and um i just remember you like i can remember your face like what the heck is going on like when there was all yeah closure. i
1: think um it got like I rewind to so we played the Philippines in Australia first in those mm. series you go home and away we played them in Melbourne and the crowd was like at Margaret Court which holds 6 mm. it was like 5000 Filipinos 1000 Australians it was the <laughs> oh, environment yeah. but it was it was it was an away game but it was fantastic yeah. it was so loud in there yeah. and we won by 10 or 15 and mm. at that point we hadn't been beat in Asia we'd won every yeah. game mm. and i remember after the game I think it was Andre Blatch or someone who got interviewed on court and he said, mm. they, he said, oh, you know, we feel like we're going to be the first team to beat Australia. Mm. Um, it wasn't saying anything bad, but he was like, I think if they think this is a home, if they think this was a crazy crowd, wait till they come to the Philippines. Like, um, it'll be a whole different environment of of home fans and just, Mm. And I was kind of like, "That's interesting," but I was like, "Fair enough." And then mm. there was even another article. I'm sure if someone could find it, saying where they actually said in an article, one of the players or the coach or someone that they'll be the first team to beat the Aussies. They think they got the crew to beat us. Mm. And as I said, we hadn't lost. We won the Asia Cup. We won every game, and so it was whatever. And then Delhi and Thon come in for that tr- that tour. Mm. We go to play Japan, and we lose to Japan. Um, first loss. Delhi and Thon join us. It was kind of mm. like. What the hell has happened? And we were mm. very annoyed at how we played. We felt like we didn't play very well. Mm. So when we went to the Philippines, it was like, we knew they were a good team. Like, if you look at the guys we had, no one like that. Everyone was just like, we have to go and play. We didn't play hard enough against Japan. Yeah, We need to play harder and get after them in the Philippines and play good basketball. So we went there with strictly that approach. In the lead up to it, we trained at the state in the day before and we couldn't even train. The decals were so slippery. Hmm. And we every time we try to get someone's attention, they just leave. Yeah. And so I remember um I forget who it was, but uh whoever it was was like, Let's just pull one up and we'll get we'll we'll help them put it back down, whatever we have to do, but otherwise we can't train. Like we were doing one on oh stuff and Kev Lish goes down and just slides over. Mm. Someone else stacked it and at the time too when you got Deli and Thon there on millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. You don't want to get injured. Some, yeah, Some people are thinking, hang on a second, one of those guys to go down and so mm. there was nothing done of like, oh, let's rip this shitty sign up. It was genuinely mm. like, hey, we need to train. Um, let's just do it and we'll figure it out after. If we have to pay for it to be put back down, we'll just figure that out after. Yeah, yeah. And so then it got turned into disrespectful this, disrespect for that, whatever, because it wasn't, mm-hmm our intention, and no one would help us. Mm, mm. And so then off the back of that, the game comes around. There'd be no talk about anything to do with them other than we need to play hard and we need to get after them. And we wanted to show how good we were. So mm. That was the other part. We're playing a stadium, 40,000 people. Yeah, it was huge. And we honestly just rolled out and we're just playing really good basketball. And as a result of that, one team's getting their butt kicked. Mm. I don't think they liked it very much. Mm. And then... Um, I remember at the start of the third quarter, one of their players, who was the one mainly involved in it, he was pinching Chris Goldie, mm. and he was he was talking a lot, and as you know Chris, Chris isn't scared to say a few things back, but at this stage too, Chris was cooking, like hitting mm. all the stuff, people see him hitting the NBL, yeah. and I remember I subbed in, and I remember Chris kind of turned to me and goes, bro, this guy's been an absolute blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm. But he said he just keeps pinching me and poking me and talking to me. He's like, I don't even know what he's doing. Like, we're kicking their ass. And I was like, oh, I remember just being like, who cares? Let's just keep busting them. Yeah. So yeah. we just keep playing and it slowly got more and more and it just got chippier and chippier and then mm. it just exploded. Um, I didn't see the timeout before where their coach kind of went off, but mm. there was no... We didn't start talking and just telling them, like, we're kicking your ass. Like, I had messages from Filipino people I know back in Australia and over there being like, I'm so sorry that happened.
2: Mm, Yeah.
1: And it just, I I personally feel it was a result of what the score was going on. Mm. I think they had an expectation of beating us there. Yeah. It just all formed into one. I don't think we were ever disrespectful. There's one Mm. thing we've always done that's play hard, even if we're up 50, because I feel like it's disrespectful to just stop playing. Um. Mm. We weren't, yeah, we weren't there trying to be disrespectful. We were there, just they're just there to play a basketball game. But then what happened mm. was, to your point, was wild. I've never seen anything mm. like it. I wasn't expecting it. I just seen blue shirts coming from everywhere, mm. stuff getting thrown from the crowd. Um, mm. It was scary,
0: to be honest. Mm. It was scary. Mm. I can imagine, mate. Well, you guys uh, handled it well, in my opinion. Even afterwards, I remember. I think it was Anthony Moore, the CEO at the time, and just the, his words afterwards were. Um, yeah, it was handled well in the end, but uh, crazy times. Well, um, just to finish up, mate, I, you sort of touched on uh, what's happening next for you, but for the Bullets fans, I'm sure you'd be happy to staying your coach up there if it, if it works out for you. Um, got an NBL one season, you're telling me coming up with the Gold Coast Rollers again, but uh, what's next for Jason Caddy? Yeah, don't know.
1: Um, we'll see. Obviously, um, if I'm speaking honestly, you, I, I'd say I, I feel very... Um, entrenched in brisbane at the moment family here family mm. started here mm. um i've done a lot for the bullets on and off the floor um through some tough times the last few years obviously especially mm. since stray left um mm. so a lot of me would love to be here to help it get back on the right track and obviously uh without really knowing justin the club thinks he's the guy to do it so um if i can be here and help do that then I- i'd love to but i'm also mindful of um what's out there and, and who else might want me to come in and actually concentrate on playing basketball because it feels mm. like a while since I've just worried about being a basketball player and getting better on the basketball court. So, mm. yeah, it's really up in the air right now. I'm, I'll am i be a free agent. Um mm. And, yeah, it's kind of a bit in Brisbane's court. And then if they leave it to free agency, then it's up to anyone who wants to reach out and we'll see where that goes.
0: So, interesting times. Absolutely, mate. Well, 31 years of age. I reckon you've got plenty of years left in your career, brother. Hopefully get the 450 up. That'll be an achievement. And uh, we wish you all the best, mate. I, I definitely do. And it's been great watching your career. Uh, but thanks for joining us today on the More Than the Game podcast. Thanks, mate.
1: Thanks for having me.